What's going on, guys? Hello to all the fabulous people joining us today. We're really glad to have you here. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and this is the August 12th edition of The View from the Front. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine. I absolutely love talking about military matters, and every Tuesday and Friday, we discuss military and defense news, as well as some history, motivation, and wisdom, and I do all of this from a moderate perspective. Uh, the Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they'll be delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber. That way it will encourage folks to support what we're doing here if they can, but it also doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment. At most, you're just waiting one additional day for the uh, content. So please, if you haven't already, sign up for free, um, or if you're um, willing to toss a few dollars into the hat, it's $5 a month to subscribe. And we'd love to have you do that and support what we're doing. So thanks either way on either of those options. They both mean a lot to us. We've got plenty to get into today. But before we start, I wanted to say, as I'm sure some of you have wondered, like, why would a guy say Stan R. Mitchell? That must be awkward. Isn't that weird? Who says their middle initial? And I wanted to give just a quick little background on that. I obviously don't tell anyone my name is Stan R. Mitchell in real life. My name is Stan Mitchell, and I shortened that from Stan Lee. But as I started to publish books about 10 years ago, if you Google the name Stan Mitchell, there's it's everywhere. It's way too common. The last name Mitchell is way too common. The name Stan Mitchell is way too common. So I realized, oh my word, I'm going to, have to use my middle initial. And ever since then, of course, it's been branded that way. But I feel like an absolute idiot every time I say Stan R. Mitchell because I know how I used to be and really how I still am, which is if you're someone who goes by a middle initial or has like a J. William, you know, Smith, and you put the J in there, to me, you're pretty much, a, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say, well, maybe I will say, pretty much only jackasses do that, right? And so if... <laughs> I always wonder every time I start my podcast and say Stan R. Mitchell, like, is someone's first impression that, holy crap, why is that guy using his middle initial, and do I even want to listen to him for even another second? Hopefully some of you are. Thankfully you are, because the stats show you are. But anyway, just so you know, if you're an insider and you're listening to me before the show gets big, that's why I have to say Stan R. Mitchell. I don't enjoy saying it. And every time I do, I figure it probably turns off some people, but that's the history. Okay, so there's a ton to get into. Um, we're definitely starting with Ukraine, and there are many things I want to share about Ukraine, and a lot has happened. So let's just begin there. We had discussed in the last episode, as you all recall, that um, it was literally breaking news as it was happening, but that there was some kind of attack in the uh, Crimean Peninsula. Um, no one knew what kind, and I was speculating from various Twitter sources, um, from analysts, um, was it some type of missile attack, et cetera, et cetera. It looked horrendous, huge explosions, and um, but at the same time, it was all breaking. There was nothing in any major media source. So on the one hand, I hesitated to say it, but I decided to say it anyway because the videos and the analysis that I was seeing from folks on Twitter had been very consistent and correct since all the way back since the invasion began, which I believe was in February. So I decided to break the news and talk about it. I'm glad I did. Everything I said was correct. Um, so 
huge props to all those folks who I listed in the source notes in the last podcast. They were right then. They've been right the entire year, and uh, I'm increasingly confident in what they say. But since Tuesday, everything has finally broken into the major uh, media sources. Uh, the Washington Post had an incredible story on it, um, and I've also got several places on Twitter has shown lots of, of uh, photographic evidence of the destruction. Um, but the final tally was at least nine planes destroyed. That's the most the Russians have lost in a single day since the war began. Um, and the Washington Post is reporting that um, although we speculated it was some type of missile, maybe even an anti-ship missile, um, according to the Washington Post, using lots of sources, and this gets in a gray area, which I'll discuss in a second, but no U.S. missiles were used in the attack. Um, apparently, um, saboteurs or who were involved, maybe locals, maybe some type of special forces from Ukraine, maybe they got in there somehow, either by boat or whatever, no one knows exactly how, and used local drones, or perhaps they uh, somehow broke into the airfield, planted explosives, I mean, I can't believe the Russian security would be that bad, but at the same time, you can see photos I'll post on the source uh, page. We definitely, uh, nine, nine jets were definitely destroyed. And so either someone planted explosives or someone flew local drones to take it out. Or, and this is the gray area I said earlier, maybe U.S. missiles were used and Ukraine is not wanting to say that to protect the fact that they have longer range missiles. This is uh, something that the, the attacks were more than 200 kilometers away, which is much longer distance than the uh, multiple launch rocket systems that we've provided them. So the bottom line is Ukraine is saying it was uh, saboteurs or maybe local forces there, or probably um, some type of special forces, assuming it was some type of ground troops who worked with locals I still think there's a chance it was some kind of missiles, and Ukraine doesn't want to say it. The funniest part of it all is that, uh, and, and the reason I say I still think it's missiles, is I just can't believe the Russians left that airfield that unguarded, that you could possibly plant explosives on nine different planes. But um, I will, I will uh, agree that maybe launching a couple of local drones might have worked. But even saying that, like you'd think some of the Russian air-to-air -air systems would have shot these drones down. So no one really knows how it happened. It's great that it happened, but the funniest thing is Russia is still blaming it on just a basic uh, ammunition explosion. It's basically just like a local accident, which is why the Ukrainians have kind of jokingly said in some social media posts that were taunting the Russians that you shouldn't smoke around ammo or, or fuel, which is kind of hilarious. So the Russians says they did it. I guess they're that incompetent. Um, or... It was some type of, uh, as I said, the various things it could have been. So who knows what it is. You can see the link to the Washington Post story on the source notes. You can also see photos um, that Ian Brimmer uh, um, posted, which shows the runway before and the runway after. And I think when you look at the level of explosions and the number of jets destroyed, and a lot of these are, uh, they have hardened walls around them which is why I still don't think it was local drones. I, I just can't imagine that somehow they launched somehow local drones to make all this happen. But who knows? Um, that's the great thing about um, war is that you never exactly know. We'll probably know when the history is written years from now. But Russia doesn't know. 
what Russia will have to deal with, and this is the the dark side of my mind too, is that if if Ukraine's going to say it's local saboteurs, Russia is going to have to shift um, additional security forces to the Crimean Peninsula to help protect against either special forces or local saboteurs, because clearly they can't even secure their own airfields at this point. So that was, that's, that was the big news I broke on Tuesday. Not that I broke, but I announced a little ahead of the mainstream media, which I typically don't like to do. And thankfully, all of it was proved correct. And if anything comes up with more uh, further proof of whether it was missiles or locals, I'll definitely share that because um, there are a lot of people talking about this and there are a lot of people who want to know. So it's definitely of uh, interest for sure. The second thing I wanted to get to was uh, David Ignatius, who's a uh, Washington Post columnist, novelist, uh, longtime foreign policy guru. He said on Morning Joe today, actually, that um, recent polling has shown that 98% of Ukrainians believe they're going to win the war, and that's up from 96 in the previous poll. Now, you might say, well, who can who can believe polls? And, and that's there's definitely some... Uh, validity to that complaint. But we also know that polling's been around for a long time and done correctly. It it does show some things. And um, it to me, all the constant, um, there's a lot of data that backs up the polling from how folks are, uh, you know, voicing their support on Twitter to how the Ukrainian people are reacting to the fact even that um, if you remember at the beginning of the war, there was a large exodus of folks who were fleeing Ukraine. Well, and I should have researched this to back this point up, but I know I read this a few weeks ago. There have been hundreds of thousands of those who departed the country when they thought Russia was going to take the capital, Kiev. They have returned. They have returned because they think they're going to win. They have returned because they feel like it's safe. And so I absolutely believe that the vast majority of Ukrainians believe they're going to win the war. And I believe this poll. If I didn't, I wouldn't say it. Uh, but I wanted to share. so. It's clear that Ukrainians' um, support for their government is is very, very high. And uh, it just so happened that before I'd even heard David Ignatius talk about these poll numbers, and I could put the link to the poll, but it really doesn't matter. You either believe some of the poll numbers or you don't, and me posting a link isn't going to change anyone's mind. But I did want to share... Um, an incredible, absolutely incredible speech by the president of um, of Ukraine. He literally, it's uh, just about four or five minutes long. And I think unless I change my mind, I'm going to read every single word of it because it is, it shows the state of Ukrainian public will. It shows their determination to see this entire thing through. And it's, it's very revealing. It's also honestly inspiring. Um, it's, um, Zelensky is proving to be one of the greatest modern day leaders we've seen in like a hundred years. But so I know most of you are busy. Most of you are either at work or you're driving or you're listening to this while you're exercising. I know because I do, I listen to podcasts all the time. I do the same thing. So I think most of you will not see this. It's not reported very much in any major media outlets in the U S. So I thought it would be worth sharing with a few of you. And, um, I actually asked a few of my friends who listen, hey, would you want to hear this whole speech, blah, blah, blah. All of them said, yeah, that one was amazing. It's worth listening to. So it's just a few minutes. If you will indulge me, 
I think you will appreciate hearing this because it is like, it's something else. Let me just say that. With that out of the way, I'll just begin it. It begins with Ukrainians, all our defenders. At the end of this difficult 168th day of our defense, a few things should be said. First, the armed forces of Ukraine, our intelligence, and our law enforcement agencies will not leave today's Russian shelling of the region unanswered. 13 people died as a result of the occupier's attack. More than 10 are wounded, 5 are in grave condition. Russian troops were striking with unnamed rockets. This regular manifestation of Russian terror, just as the attacks on Kharkiv, once again proves that it is necessary to increase military aid to Ukraine. The more powerful our weapons are and the greater range of their use, the sooner this cruel war will end. And that's the second thing I wanted to say today. This is a question that worries absolutely everyone. When will the war end? Someone says months. Someone a year. Someone even more. But the question of time actually directly depends on the question of the losses that Russia will suffer. The more losses the occupiers suffer, the sooner we will be able to liberate our land and guarantee Ukraine security. This is what everyone who defends our state and helps Ukraine should think about. How to inflict the greatest possible losses on the occupiers so that the time of war gets shorter. If almost 43,000 dead Russian soldiers do not convince the Russian leadership that they need to find a way out of the war, then more fighting is needed. More results are needed to convince. In just one day, the occupiers lost 10 combat aircraft, 9 in Crimea, and one more in another province. The occupiers also suffer new losses of armored vehicles, warehouses with ammunition, logistical routes. A conference at the level of defense ministers of Ukraine's partner states begins tomorrow in Copenhagen. Further support for our state in this war, including weapons, will be discussed. I am grateful to all our partners who understand that only by ensuring Russia's defeat on the battlefield, only by Russian losses, military, political, economic, can the return of security for Ukraine and the whole of Europe be brought closer. The more weapons, the more military, technical, and financial support that Ukraine receives, the sooner our people and all Europeans will be able to experience peace and stability in life again. And the third thing, I want to say it right now to the residents of the temporarily occupied territory. No matter what the occupiers promise, their only way is to escape, at best, if they make it in time. We expelled the Russian army from the northern regions. We expelled the invaders from our Snake Island. They already feel that the time has come to flee from Kherson and from the south of our country in general. The time will come when they will flee from the Kharkiv region, from Donbass, from Crimea, and everyone who can help in this should do so. If you have any important information about the enemy, please report it in a safe way to our intelligence services, our military. If you know those who help the occupiers or justify aggression, please report this as well. Be sure to help our people in the occupied territory who are left alone or without communication. Talk to them. Support them. Tell them about our struggle and about the possibilities of evacuating to a free territory. The invaders are using our people to cover their attacks as human shields. Ukraine will return everything of its own and must save as many lives as possible. I held several important meetings today in particular regarding the program for the fast recovery of liberated territories. I continue to establish new ties at the highest level with African countries. Today, I spoke with the President of the Republic of Ghana, 
yesterday with the President of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, food security, cooperation in international organizations, economic ties, are a range of issues that benefit both our state and African countries. In the evening, I signed another decree awarding our defenders. 244 combatants were awarded state awards, 21 of them following their deaths. Ukrainians should always remember that every step of our army in this war was made in cruel and difficult battles. The occupiers have not captured anything without the resistance of our heroes since February 24 and will not be able to keep anything. We will liberate everything. Eternal glory to everyone who fights for our country. Eternal memory to all those who gave their lives for Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. So, wow, there you go. That was the speech. And uh, I got almost cold chills just listening to the whole thing. First time I heard it and even reading it. Um, that is what I call a powerful speech. It's not one you see in many places. And, um, man, just unbelievable. His leadership, his... Uh, you know, the way the guy didn't, you know, abandon the capital like so many leaders would have done. Um, and it isn't just that. He's visited the front lines of uh, even near Donbass. He snuck up there with a very small contingent so that they wouldn't be spotted. And this was months ago when the Russians were just pounding the entire front with unlimited amounts of artillery before we even got the uh, uh, HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems to help get them under control and slow down that um, unbelievable amount of rocket barrages. The guy visited the front line. He's, you know, to me anyway, he's definitely the real deal. And um, I thought that speech was just unbelievable. It's no wonder that um, he is, is so well-liked. And I know he had uh, low poll numbers before the war began, but, um, you know, I was talking to a friend. He even uh, recently fired um, a lifelong friend that he had even gone to elementary and middle school with who was in charge of the, uh, I believe it was the intelligence uh, services. And the only reason I'm even halfway hesitating is he fired two people on the same day. But I believe this person, a lifelong friend, was in the intelligence services. But my point is that he has made lots of tough decisions. And um, I can't even imagine the amount of pressure he's under. And he just continues to just absolutely blow it away as far as leadership, trying to lead his country. Um, I know Ukraine's economy is in a rough sh spot, but it does start. To, it is starting to feel like that momentum is shifting. And um, it's uh, I certainly hope and, and, and pray that they're going to continue to make advances and can eventually find peace. But there's not going to be an easy way to reach that point. And um Unfortunately, there is some news out there that the Russians are literally recruiting folks from poor districts. They're also literally recruiting soldiers from prisons. So the quality of troops that are in Ukraine that will, you know, potentially be doing additional war crimes is that's kind of a scary thought. But uh, the determination of the Ukrainian uh, people to rid them of these invaders is is just inspiring to behold. So I hope you enjoy hearing that. Um, and we'll move to the next subject now. While we are on the subject of uh, Russia and Ukraine, there was one other story that I definitely wanted to get uh, out to you guys. Uh, the Washington Post, and I know I mentioned the Washington Post a lot. I subscribe to them, but most of the stories uh, that I mentioned from the Washington Post are out in most media. This one's actually one of them that isn't. They did a really in-depth analysis piece 
um, about what Russia's doing in Ukraine. And, um, it's, it's really incredible. Um, I'll re I'll hit just two or three points from it just because I don't want to obviously use too much of their story. That wouldn't be fair to them. If you don't subscribe to the Washington post, you absolutely should. But, uh, it talks about that Russia isn't only capturing Ukrainian territory. They're also seizing, uh, the country's wealth, including, and they did an analysis of this, um, using some, a, a large company and you can go into the details in the story. But at this point, um, Russia has managed to capture 63% of uh, Ukraine's coal deposits, and that's because these are mostly um, located in the eastern part of Ukraine, where the Donbass region, where Russian troops are. They've captured 11% of Ukraine's oil, 20% uh, of its natural gas deposits, 42% of its metals, and 33% of critical medical mi minerals, I apologize, critical minerals, uh, in this case, lithium. Um, and they've combined all this up. And so Russia currently has its arms around a total of 12.3 trillion with a T of Ukraine's metals, uh, metals, minerals, and energy deposits. And I've got links to the tweets from one of the reporters that was involved in this. Um, and much of this is in the, the Donbass region. And that's why Ukraine does not want to give up this area. Um, and in the article, they currently, Russia currently has troops and controls 41 coal fields, 27 natural gas sites, 14 propane sites, 9 oil fields, 6 iron ore deposits, 2 titanium ore sites, 2 zirconium ore sites, 1 strontium site, 1 lithium site, 1 uranium site, a gold deposit um, site, and a significant quarry of uh, limestone, which was previously used for Ukrainian steel production. So, um, Sorry, I stuttered through a couple of those. It's been a while since I've taken chemistry, but these are very valuable minerals. And I'm embarrassed to say that I had actually been researching Ukraine for a, a novel I'm writing. And the novel is about my, uh, my, it's in my Nick Wood series. It's, I'm working on the fifth book. He's a Marine sniper who gets involved with the CIA. Anyway, he goes to Ukraine. Been working on this book for several years and uh, before the launch of this war. But I had known uh, in the book he goes to the Donbass region, which was occupied by Russia before the most recent invasion. And I knew there was a ton of coal there, but I'm embarrassed to say that I had no idea that there were all these other minerals, certainly not trillions worth of minerals. Um, and so it actually kind of makes Russia's invasion seem a little smarter than initially one would think, um, because there's a lot there. And um, I didn't realize Ukraine had all that. I knew they had Lots of coal, like I said. Also knew they obviously have lots of wheat and other um, items. But man, that that's it. Really shows why uh, Vladimir Putin is just does not want to give up on um, the the Donbass region. And so, uh, at any rate, great story in the Washington Post. Um, they did a great job digging all that up. I will say to defend myself on the research, uh, they mention in the story that Ukraine has kept a lot of this secret. The locations of these um, sites, um, they've removed them from maps and other things because they didn't want the Russians to realize all that they have. And unfortunately, Russia does realize what it has now. But uh, so Ukraine has been trying to keep this quiet and they've done a great job keeping it quiet. But the reality is, is that Russia has um, has their arms around literally trillions of dollars of, of things that are they're the Ukrainians. So. 
as every now and then you'll hear someone say, you know, I wish they could negotiate a peace. Well, I just read you the speech from their president. They don't want they don't want peace in the short term. They want their land back. They want to have peace once they have their borders back. Uh, they don't want Russia to have, you know, the Crimean Peninsula, which has a great naval port and which helps basically blockade the whole country. They don't want to give up trillions worth of uh, minerals and rights. So that's what the Ukrainian people are fighting for. And it certainly appears they don't plan on stopping until they get all of that back. So that was the, the point I wanted to make um, from the Washington Post story. And then just one final thing is uh, The Economist had a great article about um, the how NATO is, you know, expanding with Finland and Sweden, uh, Finland and Sweden. And the interesting thing in the article, and it's easy to forget this because, man, our memories are very short these days and news happens so fast. But people forget that uh, Britain was you know, in lots of friction with the EU just a few years ago uh, as they were negotiating Brexit, um, even six months, a year ago. But with this invasion, it has really pulled Britain back into playing a vital role into European security. They're helping arm the Ukrainians. They're much more involved. And so The Economist had a short piece, which I've got a link to, that talked about that Mr. Putin's invasion transformed Europe's security architecture is how um, the economists framed it. And they said that it just didn't uh, transform it in a way that he would have hoped. So it's a good little short little article about how Britain has reengaged with Europe after kind of pulling back. And all of that was because, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin foolishly invaded uh, Ukraine. So I think that's my final point on. Um, Ukraine. There is a situation that I wanted to get into, but I don't really have time to, which is there's a Russian-occupied nuclear plant in southeastern Ukraine. The United Nations is starting to get involved, but the Russians are putting some troops near it. There's some possible sabotage, but there's lots of concerns that um, there could be damage to this nuclear power plant and that it could have some far-reaching impacts. So there's even been a little bit of talk about like a... Um, not a no-fly zone, but basically like a demilitarized, demilitarized zone around it. Not sure exactly how that would happen, but the potential for horrific, um, you know, radiation leaks and other things is pretty high, and it would be pretty bad. And so some of those words are, be are being thrown around. I may try to go into that in more detail on Tuesday, but like I said, I just didn't have time. I did put a link to the CNN article from CNN International. If you want to dig in that, go to the source notes. You're welcome to do so, and I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to get into that today. I also wanted to mention Somalia. I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that it was uh, going to start getting hotter over there, and um, sure enough, we recently launched some uh, three airstrikes. I've got a link to that. I didn't get a chance to get into it, but I've gotten into it a little bit in the past. It involves, uh, of course, Al-Shabaab. You can read the link, and um, from there, learn more. Didn't get a chance to get into it, so I apologize. But uh, again, as I said on Tuesday, you know, I'm doing the best I can with the time I've got. And I look forward to, as time goes on, making this more in-depth, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, so I really appreciate everyone's support and everyone who's sending all the kind words. But uh, definitely looking forward to some big plans in the future. But we, we fight with the Army we got. And right now that means pretty limited on time on how long these podcasts can be. So 
I think we'll wrap up the news there, and let's move into some motivation and uh, inspiration and wisdom. So the first one I'm going to read is um, a message from one of my friends on Twitter that she posted. Um, it's a quote from uh, Topher Kirby, and this kind of lays plays into the whole um, you know PTSD thing, especially with veterans. It's something I'm pretty passionate about. And um, life can get kind of dark sometimes, especially for veterans, but I know PTSD affects other people and other careers as well. But at any rate, so I'm just sharing this one because this is a good one that we all can remember when we're struggling. Um, So I'll just read it. Here's the quote. You are someone's favorite person. The way you laugh, your kind heart, your sense of humor, the way you make problems melt away with a loving hug or a shoulder to cry on. You are important to more people than you even know, and it's tough to remember that sometimes, but it is true. You are loved. You are needed. You are appreciated for simply being you. So again, that was a uh, quote from Topher Kirby, um, but an important reminder for us all. I know life is hard, and we all are, or I certainly got some bad news recently, but we all have, you know, various times we hear sad or bad news about um, someone we care about, and um, so... We all need to remember these things. Uh, So moving into some more motivational stuff. Um, The first one, and I've got lots of them linked in the source notes if you want to follow these folks. I'm not going to quote them all on who it comes from because it gets a little um, kind of combobulated or whatever the right word is. But uh, so here's the first one. Consistency is the answer to all your problems. Show up every day, put in the reps, and you'll work it out. Here's another. Set a goal. Make a plan. Stay focused, work hard, succeed, stay humble. Here's a quote from Confucius. A man is great not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. Here's one from Muhammad Ali. Don't count the days, make the days count. Here's another. Do not worry if your path seems lonely right now. You are simply removing energies that no longer match the frequency of your future. You will soon attract people who truly deserve to walk that path with you. Wow, that one's deep. All right, Uh, another. Refuse to allow any thoughts based on your past to define you. That's a quote from Wayne Dyer. Um, Let's do another one. Let Let your past make you better, not bitter. I'm sure we've probably all heard that one before, but it's important to remember. Don't don't let your past make you bitter. Um, Learn from it, grow from it, let it make you better. And then one final one. There are two primary choices in life, to accept conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. Um, that's a quote from Dennis Waitley. So anyway, that's, uh, that's it for this edition. As a reminder, please be kind. Try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to pull this country as, as well as we can together. We have to stop hating those on the other side of the aisle. We have to stop rewarding the loudest and most angry voices on either side. Uh, We need to bring back more decency to our politics. We need compromise. We need respect. We need a more serious gravity to the matters before our country. So please try to be a better person yourself each and every day um, and try to be kinder on social media. I think change starts with all of us. And maybe we can do a small thing to, to help improve the country with how we interact with others. So please, if you haven't already, sign up for free episodes at a minimum. We'd be proud to have you join us here. If you love what we're doing, throw a couple bucks in the hat by subscribing below. I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email, etc. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. And I love each and every one of you all. So 
got two seconds. One final thing, you can drop a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I think we got just a few on there. So a little love might help us grow the show a little bit. So thanks again, everyone. You guys are the best. Have a great weekend. I will catch you guys on Tuesday if you're a paid subscriber. If you're not, um, sign up for free. You'll get it on Wednesday. So until then, everyone be well.